This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. In this exclusive series, entrepreneur and creative leader Andy Norman takes us through his views on creativity, curiosity, and guts. To find out more about Andy, listen to the Q&A listed in the show notes. To find out more about Label Sessions, visit labelsessions.com. Welcome back to CCNG, the podcast that makes up unusable knowledge for what it lacks in its host's ignorance. This episode is about failure. And to start it off, I wanted to come up with something clever to illustrate failure, something that captures the DNA of failure, but not something cliche, you know, like pretending to make a mistake or stumbling over my words or having technical difficulties or something even more feeble than that. For days, for days, I obsessed over finding the perfect intro. Jeez, I said, how do I best encapsulate failure in a podcast introduction? But try as I must, and then believe me, I tried. I couldn't come up with anything, which means that I failed, uh, which also means that ultimately I succeeded. Hmm. So if your head hasn't exploded yet, you've just been introduced to the symbiotic relationship between success and failure. They rely on each other for their existence. We'll finish off this episode with a deeper dive into that relationship, but let's start in the shallow end of the success-failure connection. And we'll start by destroying a myth, one that goes, you learn more from failure than from success. What a load of crap. As someone who has both succeeded and failed a number of times, I can confirm unequivocally that you learn from both. And you know what? Lessons are easier to learn on a win. Trust me. Despite that, failure is nothing to be ashamed of. And if I succeed at anything in this episode, it's drilling that concept into your brains. But as usual, why listen to me when you can listen to Wall Street Journal columnist Callum Borchers? In a piece about the abysmal former British Prime Minister Liz Truss, remember her? He said this about leaders who fail, but sometimes bounce back. A decade-long study of 2,600 business leaders, published by the Harvard Business Review in 2018, found that 45% had suffered major setbacks such as blowing a large deal or getting fired. Among those who faltered though, more than three quarters still went on to become CEOs. Few careers go unblemished, and big mistakes aren't always terminal. Key takeaway, few failures are terminal, life goes on. But still, failures are not fun, unless they're other people's failures and when we laugh at them. Okay, I mean learn from them, of course. And here's a learning, the obliteration of yet another myth, the one that goes by the name, failure is not an option. A few years ago, I agreed to speak at a conference for a friend of mine, she being the VP marketing of a large Canadian food corporation at the time. Prior to my discourse, she made an impassioned plea to her minions, her marketing and sales execs that were gathered from all across the country. She made a plea in which she outlined the importance of her company's strategic plan and mission. And as a rallying cry to close it all off, she took a deep breath and slowly said, Failure is not an option. Now, this put me in an awkward place because my speech was about doing things differently and taking risks. <laughs> what a shock, right? 
actually, I opened it with one by saying, I hate to start this off by contradicting my friend and your boss, but to tell you the truth, failure is always an option, no matter what anyone says. Knowing that failure exists and pretending that it doesn't is the sign of psychosis, not bravery. Now, this got me a lot of titters and a few laughs, but it's the reality. Yes, failure is not an option. Maybe a heroic line in the movie. You probably remember Ed Harris spitting it out, playing NASA's Gene Kranz in the film Apollo 13. But failure is not an option is not the best advice to give people going into battle, be it business or otherwise. Here's why. If you put the fear of failure in people embarking on a challenge, or worse yet, try to eliminate the possibility of failure completely, they will pull back. They'll play it safe and do their damnedest not to fail. They'll walk on eggshells, minimize risks, and go for the tried and true, all in an effort to ensure success. By playing not to lose instead of passionately playing to win, by going for the bunt single instead of swinging for the fences, you actually boost your chances of failure. You will miss the ostentatious by going for the obvious. You will ignore the off-the-beaten paths to concentrate on the paved eight-lane highway. So here's the paradox. By minimizing the possibility of failure, you actually increase its chances. Or put another way, if you play not to lose, then you will never, ever really win. Again, put another other way, if you're sitting back on your heels, it's actually way easier to fall on your ass. By the way, when I did this speech for my friend that day, I told you earlier, to illustrate this point, I actually did sit back on my heels and I actually fell on my ass and, to make things worse, split my pants. Good times. So failure is indeed always an option, but it's just that, an option. An option among many others. But as an option, it's an effing beast. And these days, anxiety is a dirty word. Like the word risk, every definition of the word anxiety comes with negative connotations, usually linked to a mental health problem. So let's examine anxiety via two counter views where it can be reframed, harnessed, and actually be good for you. The first is from yet another Wall Street Journal article. Yeah, yeah, I know I'm obsessed with the Wall Street Journal. Maybe they can sponsor this podcast one day, but I digress. In an article called In Praise of Anxiety, Dr. Tracy Dennis Tawari said, Rather than suppress this misunderstood emotion, we need to understand its essential evolutionary role in motivating us to action. I believe that we mental health professionals have made a terrible mistake. We've convinced people that anxiety is a dangerous affliction and that the solution is to eliminate it, as we do with other diseases. But feeling anxious isn't the, the problem is that we don't understand how to respond constructively to anxiety. So how do you respond constructively to anxiety? In an article in Forbes, yes, yes, I do read other things in the Wall Street Journal. In a Forbes piece, Sam Conniff, author of the book Be More Pirates, said, The next time you feel anxious or fearful of the future, aim to see the opportunity instead of the dread. Uncertainty is inevitable. How you respond is up to you. Train yourself to accept, welcome, even love it. Equip yourself to better handle anything thrown at you. Every time you write a plan, accept it as the rough draft it is, subject to change, adaptable to new information and probably not going to manifest in its current form. Responding to uncertainty with open arms and an eagerness to explore is how to get the benefits without the downsides. 
Hey, I hear you, Sam, and I can relate. I remember during my days running Just for Laughs, we put together an all-star tribute to the comedian Roseanne Barr. While still no Mother Teresa these days, back in 1997, Roseanne was as dangerously volatile as a Vladimir Putin, Kim Jong-un pub crawl. And her frothing pitbull manager, Jeff Wald, was equally as unhinged. More good times. So we expected bad news. We knew it was just waiting around every corner. We knew that every time our cell phones rang or an email came, a catastrophe could be a calling. So when I got the call from the private plane bringing Roseanne and Jeff to our event, the call threatening to turn around in midair and return to L.A. unless we changed the quote printed in the already published Hollywood Reporter special issue, all I could do was laugh and find some sort of solution to avoid an implosion, one which we all had somehow come to accept as a probable final outcome. But P.S., in the end, she showed up, and despite everyone at Just for Laughs having to tiptoe through a 36-hour period of wackiness and landmines, the show went on. And with that in mind, let's turn the tables a little bit and look at the other side of the relationship we discussed off the top of this episode, the flip side of the failure coin called success. Since we established that failure is indeed always an option, no success can ever be guaranteed. There's no such thing as a sure thing. What happens, though, is after a good run of success, people tend to forget that. They forget the other option and get arrogant and overconfident, which reminds me of the story of Paul Reichman. To make a 50-year story short, Paul started a family tile business in Toronto called Olympia and York and built it into a $25 billion real estate and industrial empire. The company expanded to New York, and by the mid-1980s, it was the largest developer in the world. In 1991, Forbes magazine, yes, them again, Forbes magazine ranked the Reichmans as the fourth richest family in the the world. A true corporate giant, Paul had the right attitude towards failure uh, in the beginning. In his book, The Reichmans, author Anthony Bianco explained, If truth be told, he was attracted not just by the probability of success, but also by the possibility of failure. Later on, though, Paul Reichman got cocky. In 1988, at the groundbreaking ceremony of his ill-fated Canary Wharf project in London, Paul said, The only question that enters our minds is, Will success happen immediately or later? The company went bankrupt four years later in 1992. Ouch. Once again, you can't guarantee success. But, but hold on a second. Ever wonder what life would be like if you could? What if you couldn't fail? You know, I used to ponder this when I played hockey as a hardworking but not that talented goal. My fantasy, my dream back then, was a string of eternal shutouts. Wouldn't life just be majestic if I stopped every shot to never again allow another goal? For a short while, this was the ultimate utopian vision. But then, hmm, I thought about it a bit. If I was guaranteed to stop everything thrown at me, to blank every team, the challenge of playing would be gone. The joy would be sucked out of the game. Oh, um, yeah, yet another shout-out. Instead of looking forward to coming to the reek, which I was, I'd be bored. Eventually so bored that I'd give up the game. 
And that's just a game of hockey. Imagine if that's your life. So I guess failure shouldn't be feared. It should be embraced because it's failure that makes success. As I said earlier in this episode, without one, the other doesn't exist. It's a symbiotic relationship. The ongoing possibility of failure makes success much sweeter. This is why one of the world's most acclaimed humorists of all time, the great Charlie Chaplin, loaded his films with pathos. You know, those sad scenes like the street kid taking away from his parents, the blind flower girl, him being bullied, and so on. He knew that the presence of sadness made the humor seem funnier. And this is why I've always considered failure as the silence between notes on a piano. Without the silence, all you get is a cacophony of jarring, jangled noise. With the silence, you get music. And which is why I'll go a step further in saying that failure shouldn't merely be embraced, but actually celebrated. You think I'm nuts? Then check out the worldwide movement of suck-up nights, where entrepreneurs and business people gather to share stories of their most fabulous falls. Google it, you'll be impressed and really somewhat overjoyed. Better still, check out the Museum of Failure, a traveling exhibit of more than 150 failed products one that just ended a long and very filled run in Brooklyn, New York. The museum is the creation of Samuel West, a Swedish clinical psychologist and consultant on innovation. Its original bricks-and-mortar home in Helsingborg, Sweden, closed in 2017. But that led to the museum's touring show, with stops in Vienna, Amsterdam, Jeddah, London, Copenhagen, Milan, Seoul, Paris, Taipei, Minneapolis, Calgary, and Los Angeles and many, many, many more to come. So we end this episode of CC&G the way we started it, walking that fine line between success and failure. Well, at least waiting in it outside a traveling museum exhibit near you. Hey, hey, don't try to cut in. Get behind me. Before I go, if you've dug what you heard or if you hated it, let me know at Label Sessions on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or LinkedIn. And although I know that I shouldn't, I will read every comment and promise to respond to those without spelling, grammar, punctuation, or other such nagging errors. So until next episode, see you later. This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast. For live sessions of advice, mentorship, or sometimes to collaborate on ideas. To find out more, visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team.